a platform created to share interesting stories related to life as a flutist and discovering inspiring content in form of a podcast. You can catch up with us on our Instagram at The Flute Space, and you can listen to our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. All these links can be found in our link tree in the description. If you want to support us, you can buy us a coffee on buymeacoffee.com slash thefluitspace. In today's episode, we will introduce you to Violeta Gil Garcia. Violeta was recently appointed assistant solo flute in Orkham Orchestra in Madrid. Before, she was studying in Rotterdam and Freiburg. She got awarded with a special prize in Nielsen competition for her own composition, Camino, and today she will tell us how she prepared for auditions and competitions, what tools and mindsets she is using for her performances, and she will be sharing some helpful practice advice. So now we've come to the time in the year where so many people are doing auditions for conservatories and academies all around the world. Um, I mean, April's, May's, June's, July's, they're such busy months preparing all of the programs. And for competitions, auditions, <laughs> universities, it's insane. Yeah. Time. Also, a lot of orchestra auditions are coming up now. Exactly. So I'm sure that a lot of people could use some nice practice tips and also, well, helpful advice how to, to perform, how to keep the mindset, how to not freak out about preparing a lot of different programs. And that's why we asked Violeta Gil Garcia for help. Um, she was just recently appointed solo flute in Orkam Orchestra in Madrid and she already did a lot of auditions and competitions in her life and she will tell us about her experience. She recently got awarded a special prize in the Nielsen competition, which is quite an important competition in the flute world. Um, she got the prize for her own composition, Camino. Um, and yeah, she will share with us her experiences, her mindset, her preparations for pieces, different um, excerpts and all of that. Um, well, and basically how to work well and function under a lot of pressure in a healthy way in a healthy way and exactly, yeah. i think that's very very interesting to listen to her talk about all of that with her very nice positive attitude and we hope you enjoyed this episode well thank you so much violetta we're so happy to have you here and that you took time for us to answer some interesting questions hopefully and first we wanted to ask, um, so you recently um, won a position and you live now in Madrid. And how is it for you to live in Madrid compared to where you lived before in Rotterdam and Freiburg? Well, it's quite different because of course it's, one is a student's life, no? And now it's working life, but I, I still, I'm very busy. I don't know how I manage, but yeah, it's Freiburg is really a small city. So I, I, of course, there is, there is a lot of life, many concerts, many things, but uh, I was most focused in practicing and just doing my stuff or so, so with some gigs or whatever. I just was traveling all the time, auditioning all the time. It was, that was the life, audition and, uh, and working in some orchestras or whatever. Uh, so I couldn't really live the city life. And in Rotterdam, it was more student life, so I was socializing practicing but uh, in a relaxed way just to okay it's the bachelor you have to do that no 
And now finally it's okay, my priority is to to meet the people of the orchestra of course, to get to know the city. Still I didn't go to any museum, but I have to. <laughs> and the the sun to take a drink outside is really like life and then of course playing and, and practicing. I think that's the, the main difference, how I take uh, so seriously the practicing or the things I have to do. <laughs> how is it to work in Spain after studying abroad for so long? Uh, was it strange for you to come back um, to your own country? Um, and yeah, how is your outlook on this situation that you find yourself in? Yeah. It's really rewarding, I think, because I was out, uh, actually outside for eight years. So I missed also, I don't know how it is to study in Spain. So I couldn't miss this. But um, of course, when I was living in Germany or, or in Holland, uh, when I came here for some gig or something, I realized, wow, it's so nice to live in Spain. I wish one day I come back. but. My main goal was to have something outside for some time to live the experience and then come back. But it happens, it happens really fast. So now that I'm here is actually what I expected. It's really rewarding and really I don't regret at all. I mean, it's much better. <laughs> the weather, the people, they're all, everybody is so open. I feel like I, they are friends since forever instead of colleagues. So it's really nice. That's actually great to hear because, yeah, sometimes it's very difficult to come back to your own country or maybe, yeah, after studying for so long, about eight years is quite... It's very long. Yeah, I can imagine that you feel like maybe oh, you missed <laughs> out on something, but it's great to hear that you just feel super comfortable and happy. It feels like a, like a new beginning, actually. So it's another time of, of the life and it's really good, really nice. <laughs> That's very nice to hear. Like you were mentioning before that the life before was mostly auditioning, playing gigs, playing projects. And we wanted to ask, what is your mentality around auditions and how were you preparing for them? Because you did quite a lot, as you shared on Facebook, for example. And so were you only focusing on excerpts and Mozart for days and days and weeks and months? Or did you also do other pieces at the time? I did many, many things at the same time. I wish I could focus only <laughs> in auditions, but uh, of course I did many, but I think the main thing is that I did auditions even when I was not prepared, fully prepared. Because for you can play really good and feel prepared and you play in orchestra and you work, so you say, okay, I can be valid for, for orchestra, but then the audition moment is another thing and you need to train the the moment of the audition. So this training you can do only by auditioning. So that was my, my, my point of view, like, okay, I do this audition, I train, I see what I did wrong, what I did right, what I want to repeat or what I want to avoid in the next audition. So it was all a process of training and developing. And uh, of course I, I was studying, so I had to play uh, pieces for my teacher, no, for the concert, flute class concert, or recital, of of course uh, some youth orchestra project or chamber music, many things, or also for myself to not to get crazy only playing Leonora. <laughs> but um, at the end, I think it's better because if you only play excerpts, you don't improve. 
I mean, you improve the excerpts, but the technique or the sound or this, you get like in the in the same place, no? You don't improve. So when you play etudes or you really difficult pieces as a challenge for yourself or competition or whatever, then you get really fit and then you feel more prepared to do the excerpts. We got a question, question from the audience. Um, actually, the question was what to do when I'm auditioning and I'm only worried about correct notes. <laughs> Good question. No, I think the, you can worry about correct notes in your practice. That's what is uh, practice is for, no? You want to play the correct, the good staccato, the good sound, whatever. Uh, then you have to uh, trust yourself, your, your practice session, in the moment of the audition. Okay, I practice this, what I have is what I have. It can be better, it can be... Mm, but it is what it is, I cannot make it better in this moment. So you have to learn how to trust on this and then just try to show your personality. Because at the end, in one audition is... Many people can play it good but they look for a colleague, no, a nice person. So it's really important also to go and be relaxed and nice to the jury, like present yourself as an interview, no? Actually, I did one audition where one part, it was an interview and it's really interesting. And then, okay, if technically something is wrong, then you will practice at home for the next one. But in the moment of the audition, you cannot do anything else than presenting yourself as a person, not as a machine. Did you have a sort of mantra or something where you would be in this kind of mind space? Actually, not. I, I'm really basic person, but I really like the feeling of jumping, jumping to the pool. You know, like when it comes a really difficult except technically domestic or something really. Uh, I my I realized afterwards that my mindset is I practice at home. Maybe I fail, but I jump, I jump. I don't think and I jump. And then it, if you practice well at home, it will work. Or maybe you can ha have bad luck also. But my mantra is this one, like I trust, I jump. I don't think too much. <laughs> That's super nice. I mean, and also probably these things that we were talking about before when people are worrying about notes in the audition is very closely related to nervousness and stage fright. Do you have that still or? How do you deal with it or what can you tell people who have that? Yeah, actually I was, I am very lucky because since I was really, really young, I enjoy performing for, for people because I, I see it as an opportunity to finally show what I was working at home. No, like you paint something and you are proud of it and you show, you show it to the people. It's the same with flute since I was really, really young. So stage fright i mean sometimes if something is really complicated i have the okay maybe it doesn't work but i'm not going to die if it doesn't work so i'm really cool mind you know like okay uh, i just want to make music i don't worry too much about uh, what can be wrong or what people will think but i, I think i'm lucky because i have this personality uh, i know that many people have to train this Otherwise, it's impossible. <laughs> uh, but uh, kind of connected to that, um, how did you deal with not passing auditions? Uh, could you talk to us through your process of coming back from it and just continuing and preparing for the next audition? Mm, this is also... Uh, it's never the same feeling after one audition. Of course, it also helps the personality that you have because if you have a personality that you think you will win, 
of course, if you don't pass the round, it kills you. But I, when I started, I started doing auditions in my fourth year of bachelor. I did the first one, but then in the master. And the, when I did the audition, I knew that I couldn't win. So it was like, okay, yeah, I just try, you know? Then when they said no, I thought it's normal because I'm starting. But of course, if I start going to finals, then I think, oh, I can get it. Maybe I, I'm good for this. Then the next audition, I don't pass the first round. That one hurts, of course. But if you ask feedback in every audition, you realize how different the points of view are. Because in one same audition, I remember, I asked feedback to the, to the um, two soloists and they said completely opposite things. <laughs> so, okay, they tell me this, they tell me the opposite. It's like they, they said nothing. So I have to trust my criteria also like, okay, this is not worth it. I don't listen, but this I do. And then of course some auditions, if you know you played well, but you don't pass, well, okay, they, they think they have, uh, they are looking for something different than me. But if it's because you suddenly you got nervous or you didn't feel comfortable, you have to analyze yourself con constantly, uh, constantly, continuously. <laughs> like, um, why did it happen? I had actually a list, like a book, where I wrote my feelings before the audition, during the audition and after the audition also in concerts or flute class concert or whatever, uh, because sometimes I thought, okay, here I, I got lost because I was thinking about the washing machine. Then, okay, I write for the next one, try to be focused on the music and not think about washing machine or home stuff. Next audition or concert, I'm focused on the music, but maybe I forget about the pianist and I don't have connection. So I wrote it down the next one i'm really focused on communication this stuff i i develop so even if they say no in one audition i analyze myself maybe i, I agree i don't agree but i have my reasons to to uh, to improve for the next one but i think it's uh, important to know which feedback to listen to and which not. yeah it's quite hard to when you get very different feedbacks or sometimes the feedback is just kind of empty words yeah you have to know what what to take and what is like important for you and what makes sense and that's a really great tip with writing exactly. down the feelings before during and after that's yeah really helpful and also to see that you're seeing it more as a process as a like oh i have to train the audition situation and analyzing it and then just okay next one will be better so i think um yeah you shared already a lot of like super helpful tips but do you have like one more tip maybe for people who are currently like auditioning and like tr on their way to get a job was what was like helping you the most well no, the thing is to to believe ah, the motivation no? because sometimes of course i thought when i don't pass and i did already 25 auditions i think oh, maybe it's getting late <laughs> or may maybe it's not anymore a process and I really have to go for it to win and uh, it's not a game anymore no but you always have uh, at least I was lucky enough to have teacher and friends who told me Violeta you were in final of this orchestra of course you will get it no and then you believe you remind the, the positive things you remember and then the 
you have the motivation to go on. And I think it's really important to be surrounded by people who trust on you and to know what you are capable of. Because when you also it's really good uh, to write down the successful moments. That's why I made the list. Because sometimes if you don't pass round, don't pass, then you think I never pass round. But if you check the list, you you see ah in this one I did, in this one I also did. So you see, okay, it's not so bad uh, at the end, no? And I think it's just being, not uh, get distracted by the no. Just go visualize your goal and go for it and analyze why it's not working, but keep keep going. Otherwise, many people is just retiring and maybe they were just about to, to win. Now, auditions and competitions are quite different. Um, how did you prepare for Nielsen competition? And was it a big step in your career? That was crazy. <laughs> the craziest mm, three months of my life because they they sent us the invitation in at the end of December and the competition was the 30th of uh, March. We had to, to be there. And we had to prepare 10 pieces uh, and four of them by heart and I did more because I, I like to play by heart. Uh, but of course, new pieces, the compulsory piece that was really difficult. And I also had my first job in Freiburg. So I had like the responsibility of, okay, first job in orchestra, I have to be prepared every day, you know, make a good impression or whatever, but also practice like crazy for this competition. And also we had the semester pause in Freiburg so I, we don't we didn't have any lessons or rehearsal with pianists so it was alone at home with thousand things to do and but i really like to be stressed actually because i can organize myself better if i have i think happens to, to many of us like if you have a lot of time then you procrastinate <laughs> and then you start practicing at seven in the evening and that's it but if you don't have time you wake up early, you practice, you organize. I, I wrote a plan like, okay, today I want this goal. I think it's really important to set goals, but small goals, not like I want to memorize 10 pieces. No, today I want to memorize half page. <laughs> okay, that's my, my goal for today. Tomorrow this, and then I made a super huge plan. And my motivation was to really um, accomplish you know, the goals of every day. Then I was happy. Sometimes I was practicing eight hours. Sometimes in two hours I had the goal of the day. So, okay, I finished for today. I can relax also. And it's important because otherwise you never stop practicing. You can play eight hours of time per day and you feel it's never enough. If you set the goal, then once you reach the goal, you can rest. And it's also important for the, for the mind, I think. That oh. sounds very healthy, like a very healthy way of like working on towards something because as you say, like if you know there's a deadline and you're just working endlessly for it, maybe you're harming yourself even through it. I have a question about, um, well, working a lot and having a lot of kind of deadlines and everything. Did you ever feel um, overwhelmed or kind of that you have a burnout or were you kind of close to realizing you have a burnout or maybe that hasn't happened? <laughs> Mm, yes, I, I had some, I mean, not burnout, like I, I quit flute, but uh, I remember because my teacher is really involved with Mario, Mario Caroli is really involved with the, with the students. 
and the, he sent us every competition, every audition, and then we want to do everything. But sometimes it's impossible to do everything. And I remember preparing myself for one competition in Germany. It was just the recording for the first round. But I had many other recordings for auditions for many things. And I remember practicing. I didn't have it ready, but I said, okay, I try to record because I have the room reserved. I have to take the opportunity. You know? And I started recording and it was so bad. And I, I still had more than one hour and I stopped and I said, okay, I don't do this competition. But until this moment, I felt like I had to do it. And then I decided not to do it. Why do I have to? If I don't, if I'm stressed, I have another priorities that was orchestral auditions, of course. Then I, I remember I started to cry like I cannot do everything at the same time. And I stopped doing this. And it's the next day when I told my teacher that I made the decision of not participating, then I felt like nothing happened. I felt so good, like, okay, life is more than doing every competition, every audition, also with auditions. Sometimes four in 10 days, it's crazy. So some of them maybe, okay, I don't go. I choose because of the program, this program I can do well, this not, then I don't go. And it's important to realize that the end is, the, the, the end of the world is not uh, that, you know? Uh, so that was, I think, my closest point of, uh, I can do everything. I also felt that I was doing bad the auditions because of preparing all the other stuff. So it was all together. And then I realized it's not so important. You can stop doing some things and life goes on. Uh, you mentioned recording and we were wondering, do you have any tips for recording? Uh, of course, <laughs> many. <laughs> no, but I think not technically because some people really uh, put some good microphones, cameras, whatever. I never use any external microphone. I al always use my or my phone or the iPad. And then it's the quality, of course, it's not like uh, a, a TV, but you can show, you don't need, actually I was in jury for some things and watching videos, you can see the quality of the person in a bad video. So it's not a big deal, the, the technical stuff, you don't have to worry about that, but the preparation for recordings. Uh, I think the main mistake is that we think, okay, it's recording, I have more than one chance, so I can be less prepared, no? And then you you try, you, you have the piece more or less, uh, and then you try and it's bad, so you record 50 times and then, then you, you die. Uh, so what I recommend is to practice like it's going to be, um, real concert or real audition, you have only one chance. So before recording, you practice until you have 100%. And then you put the camera and you say, it's the moment. And you do one. Maybe it's not perfect. Then you stop, you analyze the recording. Tomorrow I do another one. And analyzing the recording, you can say, okay, this was bad. And the next day you do the same, one recording. And then you keep fresh the music and you also are more focused because you know you only have one chance and uh, all you already know the mistakes of the previous day and i think it's really much better than trying 50 times in the same day that's true because like at the end of your 50 takes maybe you have one like without mistakes but you seem super tired your sound is like not sparkling yeah well, before you were telling us that for Nielsen competition, you had to learn a lot of pieces by heart. And actually, that was also an audience question. 
what are your tips on learning things mm, by heart? Well, I have some several techniques. For example, when I was younger, it was just I played many times the piece and then it came along, so I could play by heart. That was easy. But someday I started playing and I mixed. It was a grand polonaise, I remember, and I it's really repeated no, like, like it repeats the thing the theme and then goes different and then you can mix it so i started mixing it and i said okay how can i memorize this rondo form not polonaise form and then i did really a scheme like analyzing the piece a bit it helps not super deep but yeah to know okay theme major theme slow theme minor whatever no this helps also uh, for the nielsen i remember uh, so, uh, doing solfege, actually for Spanish people it's much easier because we do always solfege with the notes. Uh, in Germany they, they don't, so I don't know if this works for them. But um, if you can say it, you can play it, no? And I remember uh, practicing by heart in the shower or without the flute, no? Like, okay, I sing it, la 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 la, and I'm saying all the notes. And this also recording also myself saying the notes. And when you actually don't know, you know how it sounds, but you don't remember the note, then it's, there is a, a probability <laughs> that you will make a mistake, no? So the surface thing for me is really important. Also the photographic memory. I try to, some pages I have really clear in my mind how it's in the, the picture. And also playing it many times because actually I was uh, memorizing the last piece I memorized it was um, Jolive Chandrinos and it was the first time I played it so it was hard but when I played by heart the easiest part was the technical stuff the, the fast things because I practice so much that muscular memory you know you 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 remember and the low the slow passage with a, a lot of flats no double flats or whatever I couldn't re remember I couldn't play by heart so be why because i didn't play them so much i could read them actually every day so i think the key is to play the piece many times even the easy parts that we always leave and i think that is a mix of this playing many times listening of course and then you sing at the same time and the the solfege what was for you the most challenging piece you had to prepare was it Sondelinos? <laughs> ever. I mean, ever in your Ma life. Maybe. Uh, I think uh, lately it was Sondelinos because I wanted to play by heart the first time I, pre I played this piece in my life. So it was a challenge. But then I, after I played it, I thought, okay, now I can play it in every concert. No, I have it already, so it's good. But uh, I remember for the Nielsen competition, there was this compulsory piece, Pièce uh, de Concours, the, from um, Rasmussen. It's, it was written for the competition and it was not crazy because it didn't have any just one multiphonic or slap not many techniques but it was really fast i think it was um, half note 250 something like this and it was all the time with accents changing with grace notes something like this it was crazy when I saw the first time, I said, okay, I, <laughs> ciao, competition, I cannot uh, play this. So I started playing really slow. I remember setting the metronome in the eighth note, 
to play note by note, really slow, and day by day, I, in my goals, I was uh, writing, okay, now the, I will play quarter note 50. <laughs> and then I was um, every day a bit more. And at the end, it, it worked, but I remember always the moment of starting, it was uh, starting with staccato, super fast, a high register, uh, crazy. And it was always uh, praying, like, okay, will it work or not? And in the moment of the competition, it was with screen, so they couldn't see us. And I, I remember the feeling of jumping into the pool. Like, okay, I have it, I practice at home. I really think it's impossible to play this piece, but I have to trust my practice. So then I jumped and it worked, <laughs> apparently. Well, talking about very fast, very tricky um, passages, um, someone from the audience asked, how did you manage to bring classical symphony by Prokofiev to such a fast tempo? I think a lot of people want to know that. <laughs> yes. Uh, so actually, we played yesterday in concert. And of course, it's really different in orchestra than for probes, for audition. But um, I some years ago, I did like a, not challenge, but a practice session of, on this excerpt in the highlights stories or whatever, no? And I was starting really slow because going to the D is always like, which finger is, no? And it's tr tricky. So it's really slow to get muscular uh, memory. And then day by day, I didn't have any hurry. So I had all the time in the world. So two points of metronome per day. And uh, it was getting easier. And at the end I could play quite good fast. Of course, then I stopped. And when it came the orchestra, uh, I had to start practicing again and of course it was another mindset because it was real life I'm in my trial period so everything was it had to be perfect and then um, I I like I mean playing slow and then uh, playing faster is one way of practicing it but I also really like to practice fast but um, for example if you have eight notes you f you practice three notes no, like you do and you stop. Then and you add one note and you repeat five times or ten or whatever, really fast, but not the whole passage. And then you add one note per note, and then at the end you have the whole thing. This works really good. Also working from the last part to the beginning, no? Then like this and also once you do this of course sometimes it's not magic you you still have some mistake so you try to identify which one is the problem no sometimes it's for me it was a la refala fala it was something something wrong there the air the fingers or something so i really like to stop in one of these notes so i do or like this with every note and actually for me it worked stopping in the la in the a and in the concert i was doing a bit of a long note there at least in my mind then it's so fast you don't stop but in your mind it's really important to keep this okay the la is the problem and then you think and of course I don't even know if I played all the notes in the concert <laughs> because it's so loud and I tried, but uh, the effect is there. The, if you hit the D, is celebration. 
and it's not the same as, as in audition but it's good to practice as it was an audition so then you are fit <laughs> yeah in fast passages to set like uh, some stable stable notes where you know but they're really catch yeah, yeah that's very helpful well you mentioned that you did a story highlight about prokofiev classical symphony so and you like share quite a lot of your practice journey and everything on social media which is i think super nice especially for like maybe a bit younger students um to see your path and everything um to be able to relate and yeah. and we wanted to ask when did you start social media and like growing your profile and in which way do you think it helped you to develop yeah actually i never I mean, it came alone. I never wanted to grow my profile or do influencer things or something. Because I actually, before playing flute, I was, um, like when I was eight years old, I always had the digital camera and I was recording myself doing commercials or talking to the camera. I, I really loved this. Uh, so then, of course, I started uh, playing flute. So I wanted to record myself playing flute. So I have many videos of when I was nine years old playing songs at home. Uh, mom, mom, can you record myself? I'm playing this. So it was really for fun, always. And then, of course, Instagram came. So I said, oh, I have a lot of videos. Instagram is for uploading videos and photos. So why not put my, my videos there? And I started sharing also in YouTube. I always share what I do, but because I like since always and of course some people started to like it no so they started following but i mean i don't have many followers like um influencer because also if i have a a lot is because i have instagram since 10 years <laughs> so every year some people find my videos or whatever and they they follow but I, for example i don't use hashtags to i i i for me instagram is like um an album of my favorite pictures and videos and I put them there and whoever wants to see then you are welcome to come no but I think it's important to not to want more followers because it can be really frustrating sometimes I, I upload some video that I think is really good really slow good intonation good expressivo everything and then because it's not fast nobody watches uh, or there is no likes or something but i know it's a good video but no one is sharing because it's not impressive no and then i put uh, i remember the first time i i recorded myself playing car philippe um, Bach, um concerto in d minor the fast movement and i was reading reading it now i listen and i do completely opposite articulation and everything but it was fast and it was the correct notes so i put and everyone started to share oh so impressive so and i was thinking come on this is not super good quality the slow movement was much better so you cannot really uh, uh, trust the yeah or, or trust yeah if, if you have a lot of success it doesn't mean it's good and if you don't have success it doesn't mean it's bad so that's why i don't try to get followers sometimes now well now i put stories but some, some days I don't do anything and suddenly I, I, I have 20 new followers and some days I put new videos and they start disappearing followers. <laughs> so it's like, okay, nonsense. I cannot trust this and you, it can be really frustrating. So I 
try not to think about it and just put for myself. And then of course it brought me really good um, good stuff. You no, know? like I met people and uh, they well I they didn't give me any concert, but uh, of course they you are there. They see you. You exist exist for them. No, so sometimes if they need a flutist for something, they they think of you or or actually you make also friends. I'm almost every month I. I meet in person some people that I only knew uh, in Instagram, so it's it's nice this part. But of, of of course we don't need it. I think if you use it as a work tool, it can be really helpful. But I think it's dangerous because then you think this is the reality, and it's not. Actually, that sounds a lot like I imagine you would be a perfect theater kid, you know, just forming, <coughs> and it's it's kind of looking at it not so seriously and just mm -hmm. a fun way and just showing your work and being proud of it and yeah and not doing it for the followers or for fame or for whatever just like to and i mean also recording since being mm -hmm. young that's kind of showmanship that is such a great quality to have and also it's very helpful for someone who doesn't have that to think in that sort of direction mm -hmm. actually why why are we playing we're to perform you also see i mean i see many times in instagram people who play really good and then they put the video but in the description is this is still not not perfect i know that i made mistake here i'm not perfect they are all the time come on this is not an exam and and sometimes it feels like if you put some content it has to be perfect no it's content it can be i mean it's you playing it's not exam I'm going to try to play perfect no and many times people are judging this and I think it's really important to keep in mind that it's social media it's just sharing whatever you want people share puppies why can't I share playing happy birthday you know so it's really important to not to look for perfection or not to feel bad about playing mistakes or whatever yeah it's hard to uh, get past judgment sometimes but in the, if you think about it as something yeah light and well fun in a way oh this is my progress and also you're just proud of your work um it, yeah you're exactly what you say you're showing the process you're not showing like oh a final product or something but it's it's sometimes people do look in a very judgmental way but mm. actually just ig ignore that well easier said than done but <laughs> uh, talking about this uh, for the nielsen competition i remember in the semi-final we had to play Jolive Concerto and for me it was a really big challenge. Maybe this was the the most difficult <laughs> piece now that I remember the fast movement of Jolive because I never played with piano or with anyone and suddenly I had to play with orchestra with the big cameras around you. It was crazy. And I remember I in the rehearsal I played really good and then in the competition I did mistakes. And after this I could I couldn't stop thinking what well, people is going to be thinking what is she doing in the semi-final if she's playing mistakes like this she doesn't deserve to be in the semi-final like this or that I wanted to cry like oh my god I'm so ridiculous what am I doing here this was two or three days my my feeling and then of course I received many nice comments people are nice so I started realizing okay the situation is not easy I'm human I have to be proud of this. I know it was my first time doing this, whatever. So you have really to, it's an exercise, hard exercise to forget about 
people might think that I'm sure people think because we are like this <laughs> but of course you have to trust how you feel and you have to be proud of of your things i think that's really happens a lot yeah and i think it's also important to realize and to get away from that thinking that oh like i did i don't know like half an hour of an amazing concert but there were like five wrong notes okay it's just five wrong notes in like half an hour of something amazing so yeah now completely something else um what advice would you give to someone looking for where to study and with whom mm, for example for the masters i remember i i um, met a few teachers and i was looking for someone to respect my personality no and i didn't want to to start from zero again of course uh so I, it's, it's really important to meet the teacher before or not only because of the level of uh, teaching and playing but the personality at, at the end is a teacher is also like a coach or um, colleague or a friend so it's this is really important but of course when you are really young to start a bachelor maybe you cannot uh, afford to to travel and meet all the teachers or you still don't know your personality playing and you don't know what respects you or whatever so for me it was really important to listen to my teacher in in spain she told me you should try in, in Rotterdam because Juliet and Julie, they are really good. I had no idea. So I said, okay, I trust you and I tried there. And I was lucky because I didn't I didn't know them before auditioning. And then I was lucky. Maybe you are not lucky, but you have to realize if something is not working, you, you feel it and you can change uh, place or or teacher. So from for this, if you have a good teacher, um, trust, uh, trust them. And then for the master, when you really know yourself, meet the teacher before. What are you grateful for in your flute education? Things that a teacher taught you? Was there something that really st stands out? I think it's a common thing between all, all my teachers that everyone was always telling me the my strong points, always. To not forget the, the things you are good at. Because bad, okay, you technique, high register whatever no but you start thinking only about the, the the things you can do better and you forget about the things you already do good and i think this always motivated me a lot with all the teachers like oh the expressivity you never lose this please is your strong point and uh, think about it when you play of course in practicing you you think about technique or your things you have to work on but in the moment of the truth think about your strong points to show them and i think this is the the thing that help me the, the most the most yeah that's very nice to have so supportive teachers and um, we also wanted to ask what were the differences you could see between studying in Rotterdam and studying in Freiburg I mean of course it was different for you because it was first bachelor and then a master but how was it different I think that that was the main difference no bachelor is your career you're studying and master is more like um, for, uh, you focus on the professional side, no? like, okay, I already studied, now I have to focus on what I, a job or what I want to do in professional life. It's not just enjoying and practicing anymore, it's getting serious, no? And also the difference between cities or countries, actually, and really nice thing about Germany is that it's full of orchestras. So the audition um, possibility, you, you, you can audition in, so many orchestras you have the training all the time in holland 
there are not so many auditions, I think, and at least when I was in bachelor, half of the audition I couldn't do because you need the diploma. So the life of uh, professional orchestras and audition was not so, so full. And this helped me a lot in Germany. But also in, in Holland, I found that the people were more open always. The, the atmosphere was, I think, nicer. But uh, maybe also because of the of the language, because you can speak English <laughs> there, <laughs> and in Germany you you have to speak German, so it's a big difference. <laughs> I understand. Uh, what are the differences in playing in a youth orchestra mm. and a professional orchestra? There are many differences. It's it shouldn't, but uh, <laughs> there are, because uh, I think in youth orchestra you are going to learn. No, you you have teachers, so you you get uh, some. Uh, coaching how to do better and then you are relaxed because you can't do things wrong in a professional orchestra it's like you have to go from the beginning you don't have any teacher you have to be the teacher actually in spain they call when they invite people it's not invited musician it's invited professor so it's i think that's the the mindset is really different but also uh, in youth orchestra you have also many rehearsals it's in a period of time that you have three concerts, but only in summer, no, or whenever. In professional orchestra, it's every week. So at the end, you have uh, you don't have so much time to prepare one piece. You and you can be too serious about it. In youth orchestra, it's full of passion. Every note, everyone wants to do perfect. And I think this, in this point, professional orchestra should be more similar to youth orchestra to never lose this uh, passion not to do the things like it the first time. But actually there are orchestras where this happens, still happens, so it's, it's good. Do you have a favorite um, symphony or a favorite like symphonic piece? And do you have like a favorite memory of playing that piece maybe? I don't have one favorite, but I think, because my, my favorite composer is Beethoven, always. I mean, then I listen Mahler, to Mahler, Stravinsky, or many people, and I love, but every time I listen to Beethoven, it's like, no, no, okay, Beethoven is my favorite. And to play is really nice. But I think uh, Brahms' symphonies are the most beautiful ones to play because they are comfortable and they are beautiful and it's like teamwork all the time. That's really beautiful. And I... Um, uh, my ex favorite experience was actually two years ago, I think, in the Youth Orchestra of, of Spain, that we were playing First Symphony of Brahms, and we did some sectionals, and then we got, we went to the Tutti rehearsal, and it was uh, the the leader of the Tutti, it was without conductor, the rehearsal, and it was Gordon Nikolic, the violin, violin player, that he's amazing, and then he sat in the last row of the violins and he said okay let's play from the beginning up to you and we started playing Brahms and we realized we had no idea of the part of other people only our part so it didn't work we were lost all the time and he said again from the beginning he didn't say anything like listen to the double bass no we had to realize on our own so we started started like chamber music no uh, listening to the others, checking the the general the, um, the score, no, and then suddenly we could play Brahms Symphony in one day without conductor all together. It was so beautiful. I remember like uh, goosebumps all the time. 
but unfortunately that same day someone got positive on COVID and then more people and then they cancelled <laughs> so we never got to play in concert but that day I remember it was really special and I think that's why I love Brahms now and another one I really li liked it was DBC La Primitive d'Enfant it was my first project in the Hochschule Orchestra and the, it's so well written this music that I think it's one of my top three for sure for sure yeah it's very nice pieces Okay, so now it's the time for uh, our fire questions. So the first one is, what is your favorite and least favorite excerpt? Least favorite? I think it's Leonora. <laughs> and I call, I call it Leonera in Spanish. <laughs> that is a really bad joke. Paco will, <laughs> will understand. But uh, because it's so slow and you, it's really difficult for tempo, for, for everything. It's too long. It's everything, <laughs> everything bad. But uh, once, I actually, uh, when you play some auditions and you play Leonora and you pass round, suddenly it's like, oh, I like Leonora. But it's just because you have a good memory that you pass the round. But I think I don't love it. <laughs> and then the favorite one, I think for me is Daphne's. I really love it. Even with the, the scale at the beginning, that was trauma when I started practicing it, but at some point it just got fixed. And it's so expressive and so beautiful. And I also got to play it with orchestra, so it's it changed a lot the way you, you think about it. And I think that's my favorite. That's very true. Yeah, Daphne's is super, super beautiful. <laughs> okay, so the next fire question is, if you could choose one place to live in, where would that be? To live, I mean, Spain for sure. <laughs> because every time, I, there are so many nice places outside, but every time I go to Spain, I think, oh, here. <laughs> the sound, the people. But in, inside of Spain, I still don't know. I still have to discover more Madrid because I, I think I could fall in love really, really a lot. But also, place in the coast is nice, but Spain in, in general, I think. What movie soundtrack would you choose for your life? <laughs> it can also just be any song. Yeah, or a musical or kind of a playlist of something. Yeah, I think Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia, okay. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Violeta, for talking to us. Um, I think you gave us a lot of information that, and insights into auditioning, orchestra competitions um well very like daily struggles of a lot of flutists and i think it's super interesting to listen to what you said 